Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff. This show is heard on WBCQ The Planet every Monday and Thursday evening at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can also listen to this show on Podomatic, Podomatic.com, and put in Camp Constitution. And thanks to my listeners, our listeners, we've been in the top one or top five for the last uh, month or so, and even made the top one for our category of conservative uh, broadcasting. You can also uh, view it on our YouTube channel. Usually uh, within, a, within a week or so of this uh, broadcast, we upload um, converted to YouTube video. And uh, we are brought to you by Camp Constitution, which, among other things, runs a week-long family camp. And next year's camp will run from July 19th to the 24th in the Singing Hills Christian Camp and Conference Center in Plainfield, um, New Hampshire. And you can visit, uh, get more information, visit our website at campconstitution.net. Well, on the line is a friend that I had the pleasure of meeting on a few occasions down in Virginia, and that's Claire Lopez. How are you doing, Claire? Hi, Hal. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, uh, just a few days away. And you're with the Center for Security Policy, uh, and we're going to be talking about Islamic doctrine versus the U.S. Constitution. This is a book, uh, The Dilemma for Muslim Public Officials, a book written by a colleague of yours, Stephen Kirby. But before we get into that, tell us a little bit about yourself and about your organization. Sure. Well, uh, I am the Vice President for Research and Analysis at the Center for Security Policy. Website there is centerforsecuritypolicy.org, or a shorter URL goes to the same place, and that's securefreedom.org. Um, and uh, the center is a, uh, a nonprofit, nonpartisan uh, uh, 501c3, a nonprofit um, think tank uh, in Washington, D.C., uh, focused on issues of national security, national defense, um, and uh, we are 31, 31 years old uh, this oh. year, 2019, uh, heading into our 32nd year, uh, founded and uh, led by Frank Gaffney. Now, new president there is Fred Flights. Is uh, Frank still involved with the organization? Yes. Frank uh, has stepped back from the day-to-day kind of duties at the center, but he is our executive chairman uh, still at the center. Now, he wrote a book on the, on, on, not quite on this same issue, but on the Muslims. And isn't that book available as a free PDF? Because I saw it, I read it a number of years ago, and I was very happy to see it available. Um, yeah, exactly. I can't remember that. Yeah. Uh, so um, all all of our books, and, and I am the author, co-author, and or editor of all of our publications, which you can find and access at the center's website uh, as free, free PDF downloads. Uh, all of them are free PDF downloads if you'd like to read it that way. Um, they're also published in paperback uh, format and available on Amazon.com. 
I, I, I am an old school type. I, I love the technology. I love, P, I love PDFs. Uh, but I also prefer the little hard copy, uh, the hard copy book, which uh, it, it's hard to crawl into bed uh, or, <laughs> or sit by the fireplace with a laptop. It's not <laughs> with a laptop. Well, you know, put it you, down know, you can it highlight up. and tab them, and, and that's what yeah. I do with, with, with books too. But it's great because there's so many books out there and other sources of information that are not known to people, and the PDF makes that quite uh, makes it more available. So, sure, sure um, it does. So anyway. Uh, I had a friend a number of years ago of the Jewish persuasion, uh, lives on Long Island, Bob Unger, and he read the Koran. He dedicated himself to reading the Koran. Now, he read it in English, and I understand to a Muslim, you know, you have to read the, the, the original version. But I think you can get a pretty good idea of what the Koran stands for. And he concluded, after he read this, he said, you, you can be a good person, but not a good Muslim. But you can't be, a, uh, to uphold the Koran, you can't be a good person and a, um, a good Muslim. I mean, you can't be a good Muslim and a good person, is what he said, if you uh, adhere to the tenets of the Koran. And now we have a number of uh, Muslim office holders, which I, I'm not sure who the first one was in the country, but we have, what, five or six in Congress now. We have a number of legislators around the country, and some of them are converts. And each elected official, whether it's state, uh, even local officials, a state official has to take an oath to not only the U.S. Constitution, but also the state constitution. And that goes for city officials and county officials. Uh, and it's of my opinion, based on my understanding and you know, reading books like this, that you cannot be a Muslim in good faith and take an oath to a non-Muslim document. Well, you're getting at some of the key points um, that Dr. Steve Kirby made in this new publication that the center put out uh, just, uh, what, uh, two weeks ago, I think, called Islamic Doctrine versus the U.S. Constitution, the Dilemma for Public Muslim Public Officials. And, and what he gets at in there is that because the doctrine of Islam obligates faithful, practicing, devout Muslims to prioritize faithfulness and allegiance to the legal system of Islam, which is Sharia, Islamic law. It's real law. Uh, it's really um, written. It is taught in the universities. It is preached in the mosques and Islamic centers. It's also adjudicated in Islamic tribunals and courts of law. It's real law. Uh, but all devout and practicing Muslims are obligated to prioritize Sharia above any other law, and that would, yes, include the U.S. Constitution. So this is the dilemma that Steve Kirby addresses in this new book. How can uh, public officials in the United States who, who are Muslim um, honestly take an oath uh, to the Constitution, which in so very many respects is antithetical uh, to Islamic law. Now, we have currently two, um, I'm sorry, three, three representatives, members of Congress. Uh, they are uh, Representative Andre Carson out of Indiana, uh, Representative Rashida Tlaib out of Michigan, and Representative Ilhan Omar 
out of Minnesota. Formerly, there was another, and uh, that is Keith Ellison, who's now uh, not in Congress anymore, but is the Attorney General for the state of Minnesota. So three can I, elected can I representatives there. Can I, can there, I, can I interject level. here? I'd like sure. to interject something here, if I could. When you look at the three sitting uh, members of the House, the three Muslims, now, the average person who understands a little bit about the Muslim faith uh, believes that Muslims are strongly family-oriented. They're, uh, they don't support the homosexual agenda at all. In fact, they're really hostile to the homosexual agenda. They're bis- they tend to support free enterprise and those kinds of things. But if you look at the voting record of these three, uh, and Ellison, when he was in, they are hard leftists. So it, is it that that's not the case about Muslims? They tend to be socialists. Uh, what, what's happening here? Why, why are these Muslims embracing the homosexual agenda that in Muslim cultures are totally uh, taboo? That's a real dilemma. It, it really is. Yeah. So, um, yes, the, the, uh, the Muslim representatives that are currently serving in Congress are all uh, of the democratic um, persuasion, and so was so is uh, Keith Ellison uh, as Attorney General in, in, in Minnesota. And yes, th- that agenda of the Democratic Party. And by the way, the majority—well, maybe I shouldn't say majority—a good number, a large number of Democratic-serving uh, representatives in Congress are members of the Democratic Socialists of America, which is essentially the Communist Party of the United States that is certainly Marxist. So how do they reconcile? Um, you know, the agenda, liberal, um, leftist, um, even communist and Marxist agenda of uh, the Democratic Party uh, when they run on that ticket. Uh, it's it's um, addressed uh, in this book by Steve Kirby, and uh, he gets at it in a couple of different ways. He points out uh, that... Um, Muslims are are permitted, uh, I would say even obligated in certain circumstances, to lie to infidels. Uh, that is Islamic law. And yeah, so you have a chapter on it, uh, Islam. There's a chapter in the book, is Islam allows Muslims to deceive non-Muslims. It's right in the Quran. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not only just in the Quran, but one of the 99 names of Allah is the great deceiver. And that is not a pejorative, that's an attribute uh, uh, in Islamic doctrine. To deceive the enemies of, uh, of Islam. And, and Muhammad himself is recorded in the Hadith as saying, uh, war is deceit. Interesting. Yes, I, 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 this, I this book is very bad. Now, hasn't some of these, these uh, Muslims actually swear on the Quran, not on the Bible? Of course, well, you wouldn't expect what, what, a Muslim um, to swear on the, a, a Bible. <laughs> I think there might be a bit of a misperception when a new class of uh, freshmen, uh, members of Congress, uh, comes in for the first time. They assemble on the floor of the House of Representatives, and it is there as a group that they take the oath to the Constitution, which basically says they they swear or affirm to uh, defend and uh, support and defend the Constitution right. of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. What happens then is that many of them, well, some of them, uh, may go to their own new chambers, their their newly assigned offices, for photo ops. 
and there in their offices, uh, some may take and have done this and and have taken for the photo op um, a a picture of, you know, taking the oath with their hand on a Koran. Which, I mean, in itself, of course, is a contradiction, oxymoron, uh, uh, visible um, oxymoron, I guess you might say. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a verbal. I think it. I think we should point out too that there are plenty of non-Muslims people that call themselves Christians that take the oath and they violate it and they have no intention to ever honor honor it. So I think we need to point that out too. It's not just the Muslim yeah, politicians, yeah. Yeah. but at least uh, to a Muslim, uh, to a practicing Muslim. Now I know there are a lot of Muslims that I, uh, I guess in uh, in the Christian world, if you're a person who made a profession of faith but no longer adheres to it, you're considered a backslidden Christian. Uh, if you're a Mormon, they call you a Jack Mormon. Uh, and I actually know a, a gentleman uh, family that runs a pizza restaurant down the street. Uh, the wife had been an Orthodox uh, Christian. She never, you know, stayed with it. And her husband had, was raised in a, uh, Albania as a Muslim, but he doesn't practice the Muslim faith. So I don't consider him to be a Muslim in any stretch of the situation. Uh, and, they, you know, they're, uh, they become really Americanized and all that. Uh, so I'm not talking about those kinds of, they don't make any profession about being Muslim whatsoever. Uh, but it's these people who, you know, who go to the mosques. And, uh, you know, it's interesting about mosques. Um, I can go to pastor any church and maybe even synagogue, and it would say, you know, services on a certain day all are welcome. And I can walk in there and sit down and, you know, and, and, and listen to the uh, proceedings. Uh, not in a Muslim. You can't do that in a Muslim mosque, though, can you? Well, actually, you can, um, and you would be warmly oh, really? welcomed if, if you, as, oh. as a non-Muslim, uh, were to enter um, a mosque and, um, you know, want, want to um, uh, attend or observe um, the, the services. You, you would be welcome. Yes, absolutely. Oh, okay. They I would look, they would look at, at such a person as a potential, what they would call, Convert. revert. Uh, because right. you know, all of us uh, are born Muslim, and it's just our oh, I see. our parents oh, and our clergy who have uh, distorted the lessons and the words of the scriptures, uh, so that we don't know that we were born Muslim, right? Um, and so they call uh, uh, people who uh, come to Islam, answer the dawah, the call to Islam. Uh, they call them reverts. So they would look at uh-huh. such a person coming into a mosque as a potential recruit. Is essentially what we're talking about. Now, there was a video floating around. Um, I just saw a version. They said it was uh, Talib was talking about how we're going we're gonna to take over the, the country and we're looking at all non-Muslims as future Muslims. It wasn't actually Talib. It was um, a lady who's since deceased. It was in the late 80s, and she's giving a presentation. And <clears throat> so my take on it is that a, when a Muslim comes to the United States, I'm not, I'm not saying a devout I'm not talking about like my, the guy who owns a pizza restaurant, but they come here not to here to immigrate to um, to swear uh, swear allegiance to this country and then uh, to uh, what's the term they use when you immigrate that you have to uh, disconnect from all of your past allegiances. You can still mm-hmm. love your nation of birth, but as far as any loyalties to your na- uh, nation of birth, you have to you know reject that, and you yeah. can only be faithful to the United States. A, a, a Muslim in good standing, as a good Muslim, cannot do that. And do Muslims have a concept of nationhood as we do, or sovereignty as we do? It is, it, it's not, no, they do not. It's not the same concept. And, and let me just mention really quickly that I think you're making a really important distinction, Hal, when you talk about uh, Muslims who are 
devout, faithful, and practicing and those who are not. Um, when we talk about Islam, we are talking about the doctrine, we're talking about the law, which is Islamic law or Sharia, we are talking about the scriptures. This is our frame of reference. People are, are, are human beings and they're individuals and, and they should be treated that way. The thing about um, someone in a free country like the United States, now I don't mean Taliban-controlled Afghanistan or Somalia or Pakistan or one of those places, mm-hmm. but a free country like America, um, where you, you probably do not face the death penalty, uh, which, by the way, is the legal pen- penalty for apostasy from Islam. But mm. most likely that is not going to happen to you here uh, if you uh, leave uh, Islam. So the question then becomes, well, what are you hanging on to? Why, uh, why are you still uh, remaining a Muslim in a country that is a free country if you do not um, believe anymore in, in the doctrine, you do not adhere to the doctrine, uh, the law, then, then why, why still Muslim? And the word Muslim itself, we might point out, um, means one who obeys Sharia. That's the literal definition in mm. Arabic of the word. One who submits. To submit is to obey Sharia. So uh, y- you have to ask, well, what is it that, that keeps you clinging to this identity if you really don't believe in it? Or what happens if your family, friends, uh, imam prevail upon you tomorrow uh, to return to a devout practice of the faith? And, and how would we know? You know, so uh, these are just distinctions, uh, you know, I think we, we need to keep in mind when we're talking about these issues. I also want to, in your book, you have a, uh, you have a quote from CAIR, C-A-I-R, the, the Center for American-Islamic Relationships, which is not exactly friendly to uh, people like us. Uh, but they even said that, that to criticize or take exception with Islam doesn't necessarily make you an Islamophobe. And that's the sad thing is that people who have this knee-jerk reaction, you're just an Islamophobe or you're a racist. And first off, Islam is not a race. There are people from their blacks, whites, uh, uh, browns, uh, yellows, all the, they're disliking Christianity. Every single, uh, if you don't like Christians, someone's going to call you a racist. That would be absurd because it's not a race-based, it's religion, it's, unless you're a white Christian identity. So, uh, uh, but to be an Islamophobe, uh, are you a Christophobe if you don't like Christians? And it's, um, it's, a, it's a dirty word. You're an Islamophobe. I don't want to be called a phobe, so I better not say anything. Is that something well, that we see a lot yeah. in politics? I, it's definitely a word that was uh, created out of whole cloth by the Muslim Brotherhood, by the way, um, mm. with the distinct um, purpose of stopping conversation, of uh, um, smearing uh, someone um, with, with an epithet that they don't want associated with their name. Um, and it's intended to simply stop uh, all conversation. conversation in its tracks, uh, whether about you know the latest uh, attack uh, by forces of Islamic Jihad or, or simply discussion of the doctrine of Islam itself. Um, let me look at some of the, I'm just looking at the book here, some of the chapters we can talk, Understanding Islam, and you have uh, Understanding the Quran, and you discuss some of that, but the doctrine of abrogation, can you discuss that a little bit? Sure. So... Uh, the doctrine of abrogation, very simply put, means that in the Quran, 
very obviously, there are verses that do not uh, comport with, do not agree with other verses. But if we, we look at the Quran um, as a, a chronological account, uh, the book itself is not put together chronologically. It is put together literally from the largest uh, surah or chapter, uh, mm-hmm. the longest one, to the shortest one, except for the first surah, which is the Fatiha. Um, mm-hmm. But that makes no sense uh, if one is simply reading the book from cover to cover. But if you take the various surahs, and arrange them in chronological order as it is told to us uh, that the verses were uh, revealed, uh, as Muslims believe, to Muhammad, and put them in that order, uh, then you get a set of verses, a set of surahs or chapters, uh, that Muslims believe were revealed to Muhammad when he was still in Mecca, the the place where he is from, uh, they say, and then you get a set of later, chronologically later surahs uh, that were, uh, as they believe, revealed, quote-unquote, to Muhammad after the Hijra in the year 622 when he, Muhammad, is said to have migrated from Mecca to Medina with the few dozen followers that he'd amassed at that point. So because the verses don't all agree and, and you, you can put them in this chronological order, Abrogation simply means that what comes later, the verses that come later, uh, abrogate uh, Mm. or supersede uh, the verses that come earlier, chronologically speaking. Um, That's all it means. And and this is a way of getting around um, somehow uh, attributing a mistake to Allah. So it's an escape clause. It's sort of right. an escape clause of an it's early story where he said, you know, like you have a, a Quran 328 where it says, don't, don't befriend the infidels. Uh, but then, oh, but we spo- then you're supposed to love everybody. It's a religion of love in the latest, <laughs> uh, in the latest service. Well, I don't know of any place in the Quran where it actually says it's a, uh, a religion of love. Religion of but love, but, right. But you're, uh, you're, you're, you know, onto the right, um, uh, you know, the, the, the right interpretation of things here. Um, but the basis, the basis for abrogation actually comes from a number of verses in the Quran itself, and I'll, I'll point to just one of those, which is verse uh, 2, 106, and there it says, none of our revelations do we abrogate it. By the way, this is in the voice of Allah. If it's in the Quran, mm-hmm. Allah said it. So none God of our speaking. revelations do we abrogate or cause to be forgotten, but we substitute something better or similar. Okay, so mm. this this is this is verse two one oh six, and and this is the basis among a couple of other verses. There are there are a few more along those same lines um, that basically say uh, what comes later uh, abrogates that which comes earlier if there is a mismatch contradiction, mm, and this applies. This is very important because. Uh, as we talked about in, in the chronological sequence of these, of these uh, chapters, these surahs and verses, uh, those that Mah- uh, Muslims believe were revealed to Muhammad in Mecca, the earlier period when they were few in number, powerless, um, ridiculed, and, and rejected, those verses tend to be 
the least uh, hostile to others, the least violent of all. But then after the Hijra, again, 622, when Muhammad and his followers are said to have migrated to Medina, then called Yathrib, um, from that point onwards, we looking, you know, again, chronologically at the verses in the Quran, those, uh, those verses uh, become far more aggressive, hostile, and, and outright mm. violent to the point where you get to the very end, uh, the ultimate or penultimate, perhaps, um, surah of, of the entire Quran uh, is the ninth surah, the, the surah of the sword, it is called. Mm. And there we have the most aggressive, hostile, violent verses of all against infidels, that is, non-believers uh, in, in Islam. Now, this book um, that, we're, uh, that you folks put out, Islamic uh, Doctrine versus the U.S. Constitution, you have chapters uh, amendment by amendment, and we don't have the time to get into all of them. But how does the First Amendment, uh, which uh, guarantees or protects, I should say, the freedom of worship, the freedom of speech, the freedom of the press, how is, and freedom of religion, uh, how is that, and not to establish a church or a, a particular state religion or federal religion, how does that match up to uh, Islam? Well, uh, this would be chapter four in um, Dr. Kirby's book. It's called Islam and the First Amendment. And um, for, for, for one thing, we know that there are five liberties guaranteed uh, to uh, Americans in the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. And these are uh, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of assembly, and the right to petition the government for redress of wrongs. Um, not a single one of those appears any place in Islamic law. Um, let's take freedom of religion. Now, it says uh, in the U.S. Constitution, the Bill of Rights, that Congress shall make no law, etc., etc., establishing a religion. Well, in Muslim controlled countries, and uh, we, we, you know, we, we glossed over this, maybe I did, uh, a little bit ago about the concept of, of nationhood. You know, the Western world uh, is arranged um, uh, since 1648, um, according to the Treaty of Westphalia that put an end to decades of horrific warfare in, in Europe, Western Europe, um, by nation states. And, and essentially what the Treaty of Westphalia says is, Nation states are sovereign, and what goes on inside those borders uh, is, is the, 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 the prerogative of those people of that nation and their government, unless it spills over and threatens others around them. Um, mm -hmm. But the concept of Islam is global. It is without borders. It is a, 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 an Islamic nation, the ideal, the, what they are striving for, and it is called the Ummah, U-M-M-A-H, it's sometimes spelled, and Ummah means the global community of all Muslims. This is what they look to. So um, never mind the government shall, you know, uh, the Congress shall establish no law, the law for all Muslims, wherever they may be in the world, is and always will be Islamic law, Sharia. And so it matters Claire, not... Claire, we're, we're, we're running out of time, so... Oh, sorry. Uh, 
30, oh, no, 30 minutes goes by awfully quick when you're going to, especially when you have a good guest like you. Um, give the listeners where, where they may be able to get a copy of this book and also where they can get a hold of you and your organization. Sure. So uh, the PDF free download copy of this and all our publications, including occasional papers, may be found at centerforsecuritypolicy.org or uh, securefreedom.org. Um, many of my own articles are published there. Uh, you can also get hard copy paperback books um, from our publications at Amazon.com. You can follow me on Twitter in my name, Claire M. Lopez, also at Facebook uh, in my own name as well. I also blog at Newsmax, Newsmax.com, uh, on a uh, regular basis, and uh, my articles appear there and then also at the Center's website. All right. Well, thank you so much for being a guest. And, folks, you've been listening to Camp Constitution Radio. Uh, Happy New Year, and until next week, may God bless you. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.